0: Blog Talk Radio. Radio, where we talk about all sorts of things, like technology, business, politics, and culture. This is Donia Keating. I'm your host, coming to you live from the Seattle area at about 2 p.m. Pacific time on Friday, February 20th. Listeners, uh, dial 646-378-0261. It'll patch you right in for live, on-air questions or comments. Raise your hand by pressing 1 on your keypad, and there's a chat option if it's working today. You might want to open up a Blog Talk Radio account first. It's free and it's fun, so it'll... uh, Maybe make it easier for you to talk to us. This afternoon, we're going to chat a bit about social media and how it's used to punish strangers and ways in which this has resulted in some really unexpected, severe, and sometimes irreversible consequences. So we don't know who's calling in or how long we're going to roll, but we'll go until we've covered what we want to cover. And I've got my trusty co host and friend, Charles Keating, out there who's going to kind of roll with us today. Hello, Charles, are you out there? I am. By the way, uh, you guys had a great meeting. Um, Charles is the um, president of Keating Consulting Service, and he's also the president of West Sound Technology Association. And I think it was Wednesday that you guys hosted an open data briefing at the um, City of Bremerton uh, Mayor's um, Conference room, and you had some people in from Socrata and from the county and from the state, and you had a really great meeting. I just wanted to, I know it's not on topic, but I just wanted to congratulate you guys for having a great dialogue that day.
1: Uh, Thank you, and I think it was a a great topic. Um, It's coming into its forefront in terms of how much impact there's going to be with open data. It's a relatively new field. Uh, At first, I was a little bit, you know, saddened that we didn't get, you know, an even bigger turnout, more cities and more public agencies involved because I think there's a huge amount of potential value there. But then, as somebody pointed out when we were doing the West Sound Business Expo the other day, they said, "Well, your mission statement says you're driving a technology future, so you have to keep pushing on people." And he was like, "Well, you know, you kind of <laughs> got a point there." So it was, uh, it, it was interesting at one level. I think it was fabulous content. The people that were there said it was really, really on point and made them think about things that they hadn't thought of before. And that is really uh, the kind of message we want to hear.
0: I agree. And I think that sometimes people hear the word technology and they kind of freak out and think that it's going to go over their heads or it's going to be about bits and bytes. And I think it takes a while for people to realize, especially if you're a stakeholder and you're thinking strategically, you you come to realize that it's certainly not about the technology. It's really about economic development. It's really about competing in a 21st century economy. And you've got to be in the room and you have to be at least willing to hear how that translates into all different types of sectors and initiatives that you may be interested in, even if it starts off as Tech or something else. So anyway, you know, get off my uh, soapbox on that. So the way that this subject, you know, social media vigi- vigilantism, the way that it kind of started is there was a New York Times article about a week ago that came out, and so, you know, we were reading it, and there, the title was "How One Stupid Tweet Blew Up Justine Sacco's Life," and it was a really interesting article. It, it kind of fed the you know the juices for us talking about. Um, you know, some of the things that happen out there in social media, we all know about it, we've all seen it, but it was just a very interesting topic, I thought, um, to t- start talking about some of the examples that were in that article. So for those of you who don't know who Justine Sacco is, she's the, well, she's the former Senior Director of Corporate Communications at IEC, and she started tweeting these little pithy and somewhat snarky remarks about her experiences while she was traveling from New York to South Africa to visit family during the holidays, and it was a couple of years ago, so 2013. And she gets to the final leg of her trip to Cape Town, and she tweets, you know, going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS, just kidding, I'm white, you know. And So she's feeling pretty satisfied with her cheekiness at this point, and she's walking around Heathrow for about 30 minutes or so, and, you know, nobody replied, so it goes back to that whole, you know, Internet, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, look at me, you know, this is really for the, you know, the validation and the affirmation and aren't I witty and aren't I interesting kind of thing. So she has no replies, but she doesn't really care about that because she only has 170 Twitter followers, followers, so, you know, not that big of a deal. Anyway, it's an 11-hour flight, so she sleeps, and then when her plane lands in Cape Town and she's taxiing on the runway, she turns on her phone like we all do, and, of course, it blew up. You know, there's texts, there's people telling her they were sorry about what was happening, people she hadn't heard from or spoken to since high school were writing her, and she just had no clue what was going on. So by this point, obviously, if you haven't guessed, the Internet had obviously blown up. She had hashtags in her honor about her tweet. People were at the airport actually trying to record her landing and and getting a picture of her disembarking from the plane. And, And I'm sure you know where all this is going. I mean, the furor just feeds itself. She gets fired. Uh, she's shamed beyond description. She goes into hiding and in depression she has p t s d um She loses her job and there's an odd glee that that she's going up in flames here, so you know very few of the people that are calling for her crucifixion really even know her or care about her. They don't care about the context. Uh, of what she uh, was really saying. And, and it, to be sure, certainly not going to defend her comment. It wasn't the brightest one to make in the first place. But, you know, there's some arguments about whether or not the punishment fit the crime. And, and no one seemed interested in stopping the train wreck, you know, as it went off the track. So, you know, Charles, I wanted to just kind of stop for a second and talk to you about that and what you think about, you know, st- her story uh, in general, but, in you know, specifically, um, you know, just the idea that people are piling on and and one small, you know, mistake can and lead to just a really egregious 15 minutes of fame.
1: Yeah, I think she got her 15 minutes of infamy, I, I would put it as. And <laughs> I was reading a little bit about the tweet and what she was saying and it's like, you know, first off, IAC is a fairly large corporation and you know, her position as senior director of communications you know, this is this is a C-level type, you know, position within a commensurate salary. You'd expect somebody who's in policy and director of communications to, you know, be a little bit more sensitive. I, I think the thing is you can't there, There's – we're kind of half in and half out of the box. Part of it is we think we're just kind of pre- tweeting our private thoughts if we only had 100 followers. But if you're in a position with a large company, somebody might go, you know, look what so-and-so is saying. You know, that is a racist comment. And, you know, should a person in a position of authority make that kind of comment? And the answer is no, they shouldn't. I mean, there's a difference between saying something privately to a friend at a dinner or something and saying something on Twitter or Facebook. You know, that's like writing it on a postcard and sticking it on the bathroom wall for anybody to see. And I think people have to – the mentality is not quite there yet in terms of how we use these tools. We do have to uh, – use or approach these tools with a fairly high degree of due diligence because the audience isn't necessarily the audience you think you have. And just like she found out, she only had a small number of followers, but by the time she landed, this thing had completely blown up. And it's, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a, a telling tale, but I think it's, it, it's a good message that people need to heed to watch, I, I think, what they're saying. I mean, if she felt this way... And she took it as a joke. The problem is, you know, emotion doesn't always translate in writing. So sometimes, you know, we found this to be true in so many situations where somebody says something and you don't know exactly how they intended it, some sort of off color joke. But if you're not there with them in person to kind of go, haha, okay, that is kind of funny, or maybe that's kind of inappropriate or kind of rude, but people can move on. But when it's written down, stuffed on the wall, it's kind of a different thing, it kind of lays there all by itself festers. So I think that's how this situation happened, and, and, and it blew up in her face. But I was going to also say, I think given her position and, and working in, in media and relations, you would have thought that she would have probably been more prepared to be able to deal with that kind of backlash, or she should have, she kind of should have moderated her comments. You know what I mean?
0: Well, you certainly think that someone that's holding a position uh, that she did um, had a lot more savvy uh, in terms of. There are some things, just because you can say something doesn't mean you should say something. Well, that's obvious. But the other part about it is that... um you brought up a point about, you know, well, you know, this is like putting it on a wall. And I think what it really shows is that it doesn't have to go on a wall in public. I think that, um, you know, there's an expectation and lines are being blurred, especially in the age of the Internet where you think that you're you're uh, responding as an individual who's not um, speaking on behalf of your corporate position or whatever. And, and in some ways, you can't make that separation. People are always expecting a certain level of, of um uh, prudence from you based upon your position, even if it's just a personal comment in a room with personal friends. And I also think that um, in the past, sometimes maybe before the Internet, you would sit in the room, and I've been in that situation before uh, where somebody would say something in close company because they think that they're in like company, and and people either don't say anything because they're uncomfortable or because they do agree or they just don't know how to respond, but it stays in that room. And and now with the Internet, I mean, you can have 170 of your closest friends on Twitter and say something. Something like that, and because of the fact that there is a an opportunity to share that with other people, and to have a little bit of distance from being in that room with that person, and and not necessarily um, being quote unquote as, as afraid, afraid euphoric that, and go what the heck was she thinking? And it just implodes. And there were even people inside of her own company that said, you know, we don't want her doing anything for us ever again um, in the corporate communications realm because you know she's adult. So. I mean, there's that one side of the story, but then there's the other side of it where, you know, here's a person that ends up hiding um, and and can't find the job for years. She loses her job. She goes into depression and PTSD and, you know, her family, you know, her relationships with them are strained. And so there's still that, that, that other side about, you know, how far can you go and when is it too far? And and people that have no uh, stake in the outcome or no vested interest in what happens to people afterwards, because you're not necessarily anonymous, but you're very um, distanced from that human being. And, And so there's an aspect of the Internet that dehumanizes other people and allows you to do things to them that you wouldn't otherwise do to them if you were sitting in a room with the opportunity to tell them that you didn't like what they said and have a conversation about it, learn that that was just a stupid oops, and then move on from there. And so it's if, you can you can see both sides of that.
1: If if the rule on the internet applied, let he is without sin cast the first stone. They certainly are a lot of sinners casting stones, and I think that's part of what you're saying is, and there's no filter on the internet. You know, it's like um, think of like a, as. I think if, if we think about it, it's like shouting a comment into a quiet auditorium and letting anybody just jump in and say something as the anonymous voice. That's how I kind of see Twitter sometimes and some of these postings on social media. You know, you can hear, you you, you know, it could be a thousand voices all talking, but the difference is with voices, if a thousand people were talking all at once, you couldn't hear anybody with the internet, with, with social media and tweeting, there can be a thousand people talking, but then you can focus on any one person you want to listen to and hear something. And then in response, people can talk back to that person, you know, who are part of the feed or part of the social circle of stuff. And that's where, you know, we're not really prepared to deal with, you know, we're, we're not really using these communication tools necessarily in the correct way. And I think that's why, you know, Her comments were obviously inappropriate, but the point is, you know, it it, it blew up. There's the other side of it, too. Okay, so say, you know, her comments were stupid and she lost her job over it. The difference now is it becomes the scarlet letter. (laughs) In other words, she will never go into any other position where she gets an opportunity, regardless of her skills, regardless of whether she's learned her lesson or not. Um, That is kind of sad because... We're finding more and more reasons why you know person X is not appropriate, and you know and again, the people cast in stones half the time they're just as flawed they just have the opportunity to say something um about somebody, and it's there's there's definitely a negative feedback loop there. It, it tends to be more negative than and that it seems like it can tear people down. I, I guess I, maybe the flip side of it is, you know, sometimes something happens where it gets a positive buzz or spin and, you know, the elevation goes the other direction. You know, whether or not something is warranted or not, uh, you know, buzz can help drive something um, that may or may not be, you know, be um, would get that on its merits. So, yeah, I guess well, maybe goes Well, certainly an example ways. of
0: that would be, um, you know, the, the 15 Minutes of Fame where you – know, and you're right, yes – It works in both uh, directions, and of course nobody minds when they take a a really cute video of their kid singing some song, and then all of a sudden, you know, the next day you're looking at it in Yahoo because it started off as a YouTube sensation, and you're sitting there scratching your head thinking, how did this become news? You know, so yes, that that happens as well. But you know, I think about um, the article itself was about social shaming or social media shaming, and the reason why we chose the term vigilantism was because in this particular, I mean, there are other stories that we're going to talk about today, but in that. That particular story, I think the the line for me is, I mean, should you make a stupid comment and ultimately pay for it, especially if you're a communications uh, executive and um, you made a comment that was clearly racist, even if you didn't really mean it that way, because obviously more people, you know, whites aren't the only, you know, they're not immune from AIDS, but neither here nor there. What really struck me as, you know, uh, beyond the pale is when someone actually got to the point in their minds where they felt that it was okay to go to the airport to wait for her to get off the plane so that they can take a picture of her and capture her emotions or her, her visage as she dealt with this, you know, hell, you know, ring of fire around her internet ring of fire and then to go back and put that up on twitter and go here she is she's arriving i mean for heaven's sake she's still an individual she's not a public figure um she's a private citizen and so there's that line you know the vigilantism where we're going to get her for saying the wrong thing where it kind of crosses the line and people start to invade your privacy and give you death threats and and all kinds of other things that they feel that they're entitled to because something went out on the internet, and that's that's the that's the point for me when I think it was just a little bit bizarre um you know certainly tweeting and calling for her resignation, and you know how stupid or whatever I mean it's not something that you want happening to you, and it's and it is a little bit um harsh, but you know somewhat understandable, but the whole bit about you know stalking somebody and showing up at the airport eh, well, just a little weird for me, so anyway,
1: yeah, uh, another that, story that, in the I think that article. Exceeds the pale yeah.
0: Yeah, it it was just Uh, so another story in the same article was about Lindsay Stone. So she was somebody from Massachusetts and this is somebody who goes to visit Arlington National Cemetery's tomb of the unknowns. And she stands next to the sign that says Silence and Respect and she pretends to scream and flip the bird. And so, her and a coworker, you know, post a picture on Facebook because they had this running joke going about disobeying signs. So, you know, they stand in front of a no smoking sign with a cigarette, things like that, and they document it. So that's kind of the context for them. But of course, once again, you know, the Coliseum sees this as a as a joke about the war dead and not about what she was doing. And of course that line gets blurred and the context gets blurred on the internet, but she ends up dragged face down across the bumpy and unforgivable pavement of the internet. You know, that's it. Four weeks later, you know, the situation's imploded. She's had her life changing 15 minutes of fame and, and that's it. She's, you know, she's dragged out to the shed. So, you know, what do you think about that kind of a, you know, trying to, trying to be ironic and, and boy, you end up flattened.
1: Yeah. Um, and I would also think of another one, like, you know, the people who went into the temple and took new pictures. I mean, it's just like all these different people that do things. I mean, people are going to do inappropriate things. Um, there's a fine line with humor, I believe, in that, you, you know, in order to get the context of the joke, you kind of have to be in on it. And sometimes that humor could fall flat like okay we're going to pretend to you know disobey this rule as a way and i i think there's a there's a healthy character to saying you know sometimes we have to you know find a way to say you know we're we're not going to obey x for some reason because i i think we have to have a healthy balance between authority and authority having respect for people too so i think they were trying to play in that dynamic but again the thing is we we don't have the feedback mechanism we we used to have in place like where where somebody wouldn't say something to somebody in their face but they feel like they can you know write the letter and post it on the postcard or write it on the bathroom stall but they're not going to face their accuser and say that same thing because then they would feel the same kind of social media pressure saying to the person they're accusing something of you know hey i'm judging you okay now i get to judge you back because we're in face face face-to-face person you know but when you're a not, you know, when one person one way can say something in judgment of another, that's when we have to be careful about how we cast these judgments. And I think another thing that kind of comes up is, you know, to me the kind of the whole troll theory. There are, are a fair amount of people out there that have no issue with, you know, attacking and, uh, you know, acting as kind of the internet trolls. And I think it's kind of a, it's kind of a social phenomenon in that, you know, people lack a certain amount of empathy for others. And I don't know if that's driven because of our culture and kind of different trends and things that have happened, but I think it, you know it's at, at its root it's a lack of empathy. What would you do if you were the, in that person? You might not like what they did, but would you want to see them destroyed over it? Would you see it as a minor infraction and something that's pretty trivial, or is it something that you know is such a heinous offense that they need to be you know lose their career, or lose their lives, be stalked, be threatened? Uh, you know, I think people don't get the feedback system where there should be some appropriateness obviously when somebody does something wrong we've all made mistakes what is does the punishment fit the crime and what is our reaction to that um sometimes we have to raise the bar a little bit i mean we we don't want to we don't want people uh to you know to act with you know racism or uh, you know contempt towards others um just because they're different we want to be able to allow people to highlight and have differences but the reaction sometimes right now i think i think we're just seeing there. you know the exposed lines and that people as a society were still maturing and i
0: you know, think are uh, i think now. that sometimes i think that sometimes um, it's not just a, a question of looking at a remark, seeing that it was inappropriate, and then you know taking that person to task, which is certainly a valid response. I actually think that there are some people that see it, they understood the context, they knew that that person didn't really mean it in the most heinous um, interpretation possible, and they see it as an opportunity. They say, okay, yeah. well, we're on the Internet, and I know that you didn't mean that, but I can certainly send this out to my network, and I'm going to watch the shit unfold. I'm going to watch you get dumped on because I can. I mean, it becomes another version of reality television where, you know, you can vote somebody off the, you know, the island and and you feel like you've started this storm, uh, you know, and, and, and there's some kind of sense of power in being able to generate that kind of response on the internet. But I think that sometimes people do understand that it was just a joke. And like for instance, the person standing in front of Arlington. I mean, I don't I don't personally like that because I think that, you know, we owe people that serve us and protect us and die for our freedoms. They they deserve the utmost respect and um Consideration, But I, I can still look at what she did and say, oh, my God, this is somebody who's, you know, trying to defy the, the sign. And so I'm not going to use that opportunity to say, how dare you, you know, talk about our military that way. Because I know that if I did that, I know where to go and which crowds to, to propagate that message in. That would rile up those very people that are loyalists. That would attack her and vilify her if I wanted to do that. And so, it, it, that's kind of a thing that I, I see also. I mean, part of it is certainly you have to be more accountable in a world that has less borders. But at the same time, you you know you don't you don't use, lose your humanity at the same time. And I think that you know the shaming culture, the vigilanteism. I think it shuts down the opportunity for conversation, um, for coming to understanding with other human beings and ultimately to rise the you know the raise the level of our interaction and our dialogue because now we're able to talk and and uh, and resolve some of those pieces of ignorance or whatever you want to call them that, that make it easier for us to relate to one another. The shaming just shuts it down immediately. There's no conversation. It's just punitive. And and I don't think that that, if you scale that up, um, you know, to our nations where we are, you know, the way we're interacting with one another, I think that it's one of those things where you really don't want that example to become the macro um uh, example of how we interact with other nations where we just don't talk to each other and it's just a series of threats and shaming and and ramping it up until you know all of a sudden somebody ends up hurt. So uh, another story, you know, which is a brief one and this is, you know, the, the person who and we've read about people that have come dressed as Hitler, you know, on on um, uh, Halloween and then this is the person who dressed as a Boston marathon victim. Yep. You know, running outfit, smeared her face, arms and legs with fake, fake blood and everything else. And, and she actually was taken to task in a very dignified way by someone who was a victim of the Boston Marathon. And so wasn't exactly wise of her, uh, and she paid for it. She lost her job. She was pilloried on the web. She had death threats. Um, she obviously also had depression and fear and ended up with PTSD. Um, yeah, but that one, you know, I don't know. Maybe I, I just don't. That, to me, is like crossing the line. You can have humor, but really, a Boston Marathon victim?
1: I, you know, what, what was it? One of the royals that dressed as, as Hitler, you know. I think it was Harry, <laughs> You know, it? there's Yes, yes. I mean, there are times when at the time it says, you know, okay, I just don't want to be another zombie. Let me dress this way or do this. And <laughs> I think we... We have to evolve I mean think about the founding of this this country. It was founded on the principle of free speech, and that is an advanced concept that causes people a lot of a lot of pain, but there's a value in it too, in that even when people could shout or say something that you would not like that the idea is we allow somebody to have that thought that somebody could dress as a Boston marathon bombing so you know a victim you know as I don't know. I, I, You know, you don't know what's in their mentality when they're doing something. Maybe it was as simple as, I just didn't want to be another zombie, so I decided to dress this way. Or it could be something simple, or it could be maybe much more complicated. The point is, can somebody do that? Of course they can. Does that mean, then, that... Everybody who sees that person has no empathy for what happened to the actual Boston. You know, if you think about it, vampire movies and zombies. Would you really want to meet a zombie or a vampire? No. You know, <laughs> you, you you want to have your neighbors killed or you know a wholesale destruction of the entire planet? No. Why is it comical or funny? Because we realize that that's not real. This person wasn't an actual Boston Marathon bo- you know victim, and, you know, this is somebody who's portraying something and i understand we can respect something and have fun with it could we make a joke about you know uh, george washington or lincoln absolutely during their time were these presidents vilified for things they did or didn't do absolutely does that mean that they were horrible people or did they do things of greatness um in, in in how they handled the country i think they did I mean, people could argue both sides of, of, of it, but you also got to recognize to keep the, uh, keep the uh, conversation in perspective. So, I don't know, I think you got a point that there's, you got to be careful nowadays when things can spin out of control. I think it's going to get worse because now that we'll have video cameras pretty much everywhere and people, you know, it's not going to be just what you said or what you wrote down somewhere. It could be what you acted out in, in a split second that could be used against you. And, you know, yeah, it's and I going think to get there's that, over that balance
0: time. between – I think it's that balance between uh, – you, you brought up a good point about, you know, quote-unquote free speech. You certainly – there speech comes with a responsibility, obviously. You cannot yell fire in a crowded theater. There are ramifications for that and responsibilities. Um, that come with, with having speech or free speech. And um, on the other hand, you know, there is that question of, you know, are do, do we now have an opportunity here because of the technological tools that we have to hold people accountable and ultimately raise the level of our uh, dialogue and our behavior to a higher, more considerate, compassionate level? And then on the other side of that is um You know, are we becoming so antiseptic and so sanitized and so politically correct where we're going to just kind of wash out anything that that doesn't conform? You know, so there's always that risk. And I think that we always have to look at the balance between, yes, you have a right to say something no matter how stupid it might be uh, or inappropriate or just thoughtless um, versus, you know, let's have this high society where we're more mindful versus – you know, now we can't do anything because now this is, you know, some version of, you know, I don't want to go to the Godwins thing, but, you know, now we're talking about, you know, communist-type countries where you don't have the freedom to, to say things and you don't have the freedom to write things um, and you don't have a freedom to go out and do things in public that may exist in other Western cultures. So there's a, three different points that I can think of when I see stuff like this happening. So, um know, the next story... Um, that was in that article, kind of has an interesting twist to it. So this bloke is at a tech developers conference and he makes a stupid joke about a fictitious piece of hardware that has a really big dongle, a ridiculous dongle. I mean, it's kind of what he said, something like that. And it wasn't even conversation-level volume. He was talking to a friend of his. So a woman sitting in front of him stands up, turns around, takes a picture of him. He doesn't think she's taking a picture of him. She thinks she's taking a room shot. So she goes on the Twitter and she posts it you know, his picture with a comment about how the joke is part of the gender problem in the industry and that it's a toxic male-dominated corporate culture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this guy and his friend get taken into a room 10 minutes later after that to explain themselves and why they did what they did. He's fired two days later. He's terrified. He's crying because he's got a wife and kids, and, you know, he had this joke that somebody decided was – you know, worth shaming him over with 9,000 people or whatever it was she had on her list. And, um, you know, so that's what happens to him. So, But here's where it gets interesting. So the woman who took the photograph, you know, she started to experience the wrath and the backlash of the crowd herself because the guy who lost his job went and posted about it on Hacker News, which is an online forum that's popular with developers. And so, of course, now, the other side, the men's rights activists and anonymous trolls started bombarding her with death threats on Twitter and Facebook. Somebody tweeted her home address with a photograph of a beheaded woman with duct tape over her mouth um, She ended up couch surfing i mean that it's like wow, she ended up couch surfing for the rest of the year as a result of this, and then her employer's website went down because you're dealing with you crazy geeks. You know, no opinion. No, no, uh, no offense, Charles, but you know, someone oh launched God. a, um, d- you know, a DDoS attack. You know, overwhelmed the site servers with repeated requests, and then her employer was told that the attacks would stop if she was fired. So of course, the very <laughs> same day, her employer, fi- you know, all of her employer fires are like, okay, here's here's your sacrificial lamb. You know, stop attacking my site. But it was an interesting. Um, Story because it goes to some of the stuff that we're talking about where you, you make a stupid mistake, maybe you overreact, maybe you take something out of context, or maybe you just kind of inflate, you know, what you know. Like I, in my opinion, in this last example, where she hears this guy make a joke about a dongle, I mean, so what? I mean, come on, and and gets up and takes his picture and then kind of burns her bra on the internet about it, and then she gets it, you know, double. Then she gets so, her
1: burned, her bra burned. <laughs> exactly and then and she then gets you like, know and then oh. you
0: know the guy you know burns and then the guys burn their straps. so i mean it's just one of those things where you just see how something just escalates out of control over something that what if she had just turned around i mean if it was really offensive to her what if she had just turned around and said i don't appreciate what you just said it wasn't funny And I would appreciate it if you and your friend would refrain from those jokes in the future. Now, maybe they would have said F you and it would have escalated anyway, but maybe it just would have been something that was done. That was it. But it wasn't enough. I mean, she needed to shame. She needed to go out there on the Internet and she needed to be the vigilante that, you know, punished them for it and made sure that everybody else knew. And then, of course, maybe there was a little bit of look at me, hear me roar, you know, and getting the approval from all of her friends. And so... Because of that, that whatever part, that is, yeah. it backfires. You know, because I know if it had been me, and I was sitting there, and I do a lot of tech stuff, and of course, I mean, being a woman, and of course, being a woman of color, I'm always the odd one in the group. But I have no compunction whatsoever about turning around and saying, "A, be quiet! You're talking too loud." Or B, you know, why don't you step outside? Or C, put your phone on silence. Or D, you know, your joke was funny or it wasn't funny or whatever. I mean, it's just another opportunity, like I said, to engage people instead of trying to find a way to to stick it to them.
1: Yeah, I I think you I think you kind of summed it up pretty well there. In that, you know, let the punishment fit the crime. Maybe some of these overreactions will lead to a pendulum backsplash where people will think a little bit more before they make certain comments, and, you know, there will be a greater amount of sensitivity. I mean, if if a few heads roll over silly things, maybe people will think twice about saying things. Now, that's not to say, oh, yeah, let me let me make the same comments and try to hide it. Maybe I should just think more about others before I, you know, slap on the comments. Sometimes these things are are pretty funny or ridiculous, and I don't want, like you said, I don't think the goal is to make everything antiseptic. I think that the goal is to have a space for humor, but also have a, have a space for humanity. You know, we have to have both H's. So, you know, some humor, some humanity. I think the two can support each other, as long as we're not using that as an as as a tool. Like you say, to attack or punish people, I think that's where it maybe goes over the line. Is when you you actively try to okay, yeah, I'm not, I I didn't like this, but let me try to focus uh... as many of my friends on you know destroying somebody or something because I didn't like that particular comment. And I could think of where this kind of could play out. It plays out in politics, obviously. Maybe it's a making it's a microcosm of politics. And the reason is it's so hard to find anybody who wants to be bipartisan and work with both sides because the moment they try to work with either side you know the, the people on their own side vilify them the people on the other, you know on the other side say, "Well, you're not really like us and it, it just becomes this ugly ugly battle, and it's like it's very hard to get people who want to be in the middle that say let's let's be reasonable, and both sides have a good point um It's hard for them to stand the heat these days
0: I wish it I wish it yeah, wasn't I that just I just saw two other comments that come in, and one of them just said that people need to CTFO, and I'm gonna guess what that means and just leave it at that. But I think it's chill the f out is what I think is that stronger. And the other <laughs> comment was about I'm like, okay, peace be with you too. Um, anonymity is is another comment that said, you know, they said that they think that it has some role in it, and I I. I think they're right. I mean, there are some people that are anonymous and we've had a show about that years ago, which maybe, you know, we can talk about that some other time. But again, like I said earlier, many of the people we're talking about, posted on Twitter, on the internet, they were open. I mean, when they were going after their targets, they had names, they had accounts. You know, it's not like, you know, the guy that shows up at the airport to take a picture, he's not hiding you know he's not trying to be anonymous he's there and and so you know a lot of these people maybe they have handles that aren't easily identifiable but they're certainly not necessarily anonymous um and it just kind of gets back to the obvious part to me about thinking before you post on the internet it doesn't always matter what you mean you know context can get lost there's an audience that's out there, um, sometimes you know, well beyond what you can anticipate. So you think you're talking to friends, and it goes you know, even wider than that. And then you also have a crowd that's around you and, and ready to wring every drop of blood out of an opportune moment. And so you, you can't, you know, like I have a, another colleague that we, you and I both know, and, and they were talking about this whole thing with the, you know, here in the area where they've got the longshoremen that are out there, the container ships that are out in the sound. And they've been out there for months, and so... You know, one of the people that we know went out there, and they started talking about it on Facebook. And you know, they make $140,000 a year, and you know, they shouldn't be quote-unquote striking. And you know, they're they're hurting the economy and hurting the small business. And, and there's a way to have that conversation. You know, I'm not going to get into the details of that, but there was somebody else in the thread that started having the conversation you know with with dozens of other people and their response was i wonder what so and so would think if they saw you making this comment you know you want to run you know want to be the you know in this particular industry in economic development or you want to be a, in a city manager position and i wonder if anybody would hire you knowing that you've got this you know this slanted idea about the situation and so that goes back to The punitive stuff that I'm talking about, that goes back to, you know, you made a comment that I didn't agree with, which is you're right, but now I'm going to punish you. I'm going to make sure that this becomes public, because now you're having a conversation on your Facebook with people that you've chosen to be friends with, and so it's somewhat private, not completely, can't expect total privacy, but you're having a quote-unquote, a large dinner party, and then somebody decides they don't like what you said, and now they're going to go and they're going to send it off to the press, you know, as an example, figuratively speaking, to embarrass you and to make life difficult for you. And that's the problem, you know, that, you know, this whole wrapper that we've been putting on this, I mean, I, that's the problem that I think that, um, you know, the social media shaming has, has gotten into.
1: Yeah, I, if if I use an analogy if it's if it's like a war where it can be asymmetric somebody can attack you and you can't really attack them back because of anonymity or just the, the way the system's structured you know people can get away with it you know that's you know becomes very be careful what you say because you know the internet trolls can you know disassemble you on the other hand if it if it hmm. goes towards a more transparent world where you know your attackers and they know you um, does that mean you want to have your home address, you know, posted on the internet and people driving by? I think over time, as as as, pe- as it becomes more transparent and just less privacy because, you know, information is floating out there. People can find you, you know, they can find where you're posting from. You know, if you post your, you know, your Facebook update from somewhere, they know where you are. It, there's just so many things where it's becoming a more and more transparent world. Uh, it's going to lead to a, a situation where you know there's more risk involved not not only with the critics and i do think an- anonymity has a certain benefit when used appropriately because you do want right. people to be able to criticize things without retribution if it's a if it's if it's a good topic for public consideration like maybe how our government is applying you know, immigration rights you wouldn't want to have you know every time you say something used against you in a punitive way, or basically what you've gotten down to is you've got, you gotten down to a, dim, a dictatorship where, you know, the people yeah. are going to be silenced because they're going to be afraid of being, you know, you know, that's the other, that's the flip side of the coin. I think when it's more transparent and people have accountability, they'll be more careful about what they're saying, but I think there's also got to be a space for saying, you know, if there is a valid point of being able to support criticism. Now, does the mass majority of the people assess you know the quality of the argument well, I think that's one way a place where I'd love to see a lot more maturity you know look at what somebody says look at the reaction and assess for yourself you know is this appropriate you know is 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 is, is the re, is the was the comment so heinous that it deserves this kind of reaction or not and I, I think the vast majority of people will probably you know a lot of times I think people see these things and they kind of go I'm staying away from that I don't want to put my foot in the cesspool you know whether I want to support the person who did something stupid in the beginning or the person who's attacking, it doesn't matter what side you're on. Sometimes you just want to stay out of it because it becomes like this, what's the benefit in getting engaged in some of these these things sometimes? I think that's kind of a, a downside to this and that it, it might shut, like you say, it might shut down discourse because nobody wants to get involved if they think they can get drugged into it, and, and it's not going to be a beneficial commentary. It's going to be something that's just used punitively against one side or the other.
0: Yeah, and I think it just comes down to um, you know when you're in the when you're in a big mud pit, nobody really bothers to distinguish who's holding the hose, you know, who's trying to hose people off and clean it up. I mean, nobody cares. And and it goes back to that conversation about anonymity. And I've had this conversation with people that I know, and some people I even respect, where they say, you know, if you don't have the courage um, to speak openly, then you know, and, and anonymity is is for people that are cowards. And it's like that is such a one-dimensional way of looking at things because. Frankly, the first thing is the very people that are always the most vocal. Um, critics of anonymity are actually the people that are more likely to abuse information that you would get from somebody who is forthcoming. They are the most likely to go outside of the realm of the discussion and say, okay, well, you just had a conversation about what we should be doing about the environment. And I just looked up your house and I noticed that you have a 4,000 square foot home at this place in Port Orchard. And so you think to yourself, okay, well, is that a valid part of the argument in terms of someone being able to be, to walk their talk and be able to have a conversation about the environment? And you want to make sure that they are ethical enough to live their talk. Sure. There's some, there's some validity to that, but is it really a part of the conversation and does it need to be? And certainly does it need to be in a way that puts that person at risk? Or if you don't like what that person said, do you have the right to show up at their house in the middle of the night and throw a toilet paper all over it? So it, it's, it's, Sometimes, you know, the anonymity is not about oh, lacking courage. It's 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 about trying to keep the conversation honest and on point and frankly to keep maybe yourself out of jail because if somebody shows up at your house to do something, you're gonna snap their neck. You know, you don't want some crazy person coming after innocent bystanders that may be in your office setting or in your home setting or wherever you are because you were making a comment and participating in you know, the free exchange of ideas in an open forum. And I, I just think that sometimes people Forget that, you know, there are human beings on the other sides of these, these keyboards, and even though you don't agree, and even if you passionately disagree, it doesn't give you the right to go on fishing expeditions about all aspects of a person's life in order to have an an argument or a discussion on the merits, and I think that's where we kind of lose out, so... If we had a society where people knew how to behave, would more of us be transparent and not be anonymous when we're having these discussions? Of course. But as long as you're going to have the little crazies out there or the people that, that feel like they have the right you know, to come into your life with an anal probe, then yeah, you're certainly going to distance yourself and say, no, I, I just don't have time for this anymore, because what's the point? I can go and do something over here and make a difference, or I can sit here on the Internet arguing with you. And so that choice is very clear, at least to me.
1: Uh, I, I think I think a lot of people have tuned out because they, they don't want to hear the ad hominem arguments. I mean, it works. It, it works because, you know, if you, if you denigrate somebody's character, you, you undermine their argument. And it has nothing to do with the quality of the argument. That's the downside. They can look at is this person making sense when they're talking about X, but then they turn around and say, well, you shouldn't listen to that person because he's X. Or they'll go even further, like you say, they could be shaming, it could be outright threats. Okay, I'm going to post where you live. Well, what's the relevancy of where I live when I'm talking about an argument that's you know healthcare related or something? You know, I mean, it's, it's 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 a lot of times is let me throw some arbitrary information because I want to make you feel threatened. Or I'll take a picture of your child and put it on the network where the sexual predators are, and say, you know, here, look at, you know, this person. And it's like, what do you think that that's doing? That that is an outright um, attack on somebody, not on the argument of what's being discussed, but to to, to to do to do deliberate harm. And I I don't have a lot of you know truck with people who try to do that kind of stuff because it's. It, that diminishes the quality of our ability to discourse and discuss topics. We, you know, if we if we can't discuss topics without resorting to threatening one another, you know, that, that's that's a, that's a sign of mental illness, in my opinion, when people <laughs> do that kind of thing. <laughs>
0: well, yeah. Uh, not to laugh in big light of mental illness but yeah I mean, there's a whole other subject that I'm going to be talking about in a show uh, probably the next week or beyond that it's about the uh, sociopath next door and it was uh, kind of a, an offshoot of a conversation that we had with someone that we've known for a very long time who's transitioned in their career from you know they're still a business owner but they've actually uh, moved into ministry and being a chaplain and dealing with you know end of life stuff and so I'm looking forward to that conversation about sociopathology but and how it's not, it, it's actually a, a lot more um, ubiquitous than it is, um, you know, the, the, the ice outliers and everybody wants to think of, like, you know, the Bundys and, and so forth of the world. And so this whole premise is that, hey, you know, there are a lot of different um, soci- soci- um, sociopaths that live amongst us in everyday life doing things that are a lot more mundane. Um, and so... Um, the other comment that i wanted to make is you were talking about you know people taking things and putting them on sites and punitive things and you know, a good friend of ours even even had a situation like that. Where they were debating someone on the internet. That this person, they never agree with one another. And so, as a result of that, you know, it started spilling out into their 3D lives, where you know one person account you know encountered the other person at a grocery store or someplace in public, and they were just you know kind of rabid about that. And then they made a comment on the internet that was kind of a line from West Side Story about you know why don't we meet in the parking lot at midnight with pitch forks and knives or whatever, and it ended up in a lawsuit. You know, where somebody was trying to get a restraining order, and it, and so everybody that read that thought, wait a minute, that's so obviously from West Side Story. Did you really drag this person in the court over that? And now it's a public thing. And so their response was, well, I didn't know. I thought that this person was really going to harm me because, you know, quote unquote, they have a beautiful mind, which goes back to, you know, the movie about somebody being insane. And so, you know, here's it's like a pattern of throwing digs and and insults back and forth at one another, um, and and finally you find a way to get that person, but good, and then you drag them in the court, and yet, you know, here's a person, love her to death, she's a great person, but. She's very much out there um, on the internet, arguing with people, you know, sometimes violently and viciously, um, calling them out and using personal information get, against them. And then all of a sudden, somebody finally kind of shoots her back a bit of her own medicine, and then she, you know, she's terrified, quote unquote, and then drags somebody in the court. So it's kind of one of those examples of how people. Um, You know, go overboard or benefit from deliberately misunderstanding you in order to get, you know, an upper hand on something. So I I think I've kind of gone on long enough about the subject and I'm done with it, unless you've got something you want to say, Charles.
1: No, I think we spiraled down the rabbit hole far enough. Maybe it's time to spin out.
0: (laughs) All right, that sounds good to me. So I will uh, go ahead and, and wave my hand and say we're done for the day. And uh, thank you. Thank you for everybody else for tuning in this afternoon. This broadcast is going to be a podcast shortly here. You can find us on iTunes as well. And follow us on Facebook, backslash str 8 Talk Radio, Sam Tommy Roger, the number 8, Talk Radio. We took a short break on the show, but we're back, so don't be a stranger. Let us know about interesting topics or people you want us to talk to. So this is Donian and Charles, signing off at about 247 Pacific Time on Friday, February 20th. We'll see you soon, and have a great weekend.